After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast, we sit down with Coach Brett Moore, high school basketball coach in Illinois. We talk to Coach Moore about how COVID ended his season last year during the playoffs, his offensive and defensive system, his player skill development, and his scouting process. Enjoy the show. Coach, well, we thank you for coming on. Um, excited, excited to talk to you. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I think we're getting away from this, but we've everybody's been in our situation. So last year, you're you're like hours away, right? You're in the film room. Uh, from at least I'm reading these articles. You're in the film room, uh, sectional semifinal, I believe, correct? Right? You're in sectional semis. Yeah. Um, you get a call, health emergency, right? Super vague. Not, not knowing what's going on um you have a real good team your team's playing real well and you never set foot in the court again um so first what what was going through your mind at the time you know it was, it was awesome year you know we're 30 and 3 we're having a great season like best season in school history um you know, it's his dream season. It's our first year in 3A. You know, we've been a 4A school all these years before and coming off a huge win where everybody said we couldn't go into the city and beat a city school. We had done that. And I'm actually running late to the game because my family is all coming into town for the game. I grew up about four hours away from the Chicagoland area. And I get a call and somebody's like, hey, I heard your game was canceled. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And um just kept getting worse from there because I'm pulling into the school and I've already got my guys getting ready to go and my coaches are with them. And yeah, I get it. I finally get a hold of my AD and he's like, we're not playing tonight. You know, and, and the bad, the thing that's really been tough about that is by the time midnight came around that night, cause I couldn't sleep, you know, I'm up most of the night thinking about the game and, we were going to probably have to turn away 500 to 1,000 fans. We had a sectional game in our own gym, which I don't think has ever been sold out. And that thing was going to be sold out before we even took the court. Um, and, you know, everybody that I ever see tells me they were going to that game. I don't know if that's necessarily true. You know, I think there's, you know, there's people that are always like, oh, yeah, I was at that sporting event. You know, I saw Michael Jordan do whatever. But everybody tells me they were going to be at that game. You know, it was a Bennett team. That it was the first time we had ever played Bennett. And they're unbelievable. Bennett, Gene, Gene he's Hines, got an awesome – he's got an awesome program. Gene does an awesome job. It was the first time where I was like, we're actually, I think, better than them going into the game. Now, you can be a lot better than Bennett and not beat Bennett. So it's not like we were going to just have an easy win or anything. But it was the first time we had ran into them, and I was like – this is a year where we can win this game for sure if we do our stuff. And, you know, the even tougher part, by midnight the night after the game, I knew we were not going to play the next day just because everything was coming out. And I was like, please at least do this before the kids get back to school. But, nope, 
we got back into the gym another time we had we're gonna have 50 fans or something like that and by the time it was about a half an hour before we went on the court i just say just canceled our season and yeah i mean it was tough i, I still don't think i have a lot of closure on it it gets because it was just like a once in a lifetime team and uh you know i felt really bad for the kids because you we we weren't that team that you know was managing egos we were that team where everybody had bought in and they didn't care if they scored four points because they knew the next night they'd score 25 and that's what i really just miss of not having that team you know get those last games so all right next step then right you you get on the court again now you realize you're really you're just it came completely obvious you're not getting back on the court um Obviously, those are tough discussions with your players. What what were those next few days like, the next few weeks? Um, how did you go about those discussions with your kids? And, and what did you want to get across to them in those discussions? You know, we we uh, you know talked about it that night for quite a bit of time. You know, I think probably about two hours before we got everybody out of the gym. And, you know, I, I sent guys individual messages, but like we kind of gave them a little bit of time, like away from it, let them cool off a little bit. Um, didn't really have a team meeting or anything for a little while, but just tried to make sure I was there for anybody. But, you know, I don't know if there is a perfect, I didn't have a playbook. You know, I've got a playbook for just about everything, but I didn't have one for what to do whenever your season's canceled. And, and you know, I, there's probably, I wish I would have done more stuff like maybe with them, but at the same time, they were kind of even apprehensive of getting back together, talk, not getting back together, but even a zoom call. And it's, I still talk to them, you know, the seniors that graduated, some of them more than others, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a rough year of thinking about that quite a bit. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. I think we all kind of went, went through that um, trying to figure it out in different, various uh no, there were seasons places. there were plenty of seasons where we were like a game over 500 or not very good that i would have been okay if they had ended you know <laughs> not okay but like why couldn't have this been on a year where we knew we were going to just get waxed yeah. in the first round of the regionals yeah all right so let, let's go let's go more positive here let's get back back on the court um you know we've been talking a lot here the last couple of days um and, and what really stood out to me is how you talked about developing your low levels to be scorers and shooters. Um, first, you know, what, what was, where did that idea come from? Um, and then kind of what does that look like on a daily basis? You know, I think the idea that comes from mainly, if you, I always tell people, if you show me like a really good sophomore team, they're going to win like six games their next year of varsity. Like if they don't have senior support ahead of them, you know, I'll, I'll see somebody say, you know, this sophomore team was really good. I'm like, well, they're in a one, two, two press and they will not be able to do that. at everyone being six feet tall at our level of basketball. Right. And we're, you know, we're a school like big compared to where I've been. We have 1500 students. We're the only school under 2000 in our conference. So we have to be really aggressive in developing talent and we're we know we're going to play man-to-man we do some different versions of it but we're going to be a man-to-man team we don't spend a ton of time on defense at the lower levels we don't spend a ton of time like mastering a flex offense or like any certain type 
we're working like we want 30 minutes of shooting every single day. I think one of the best things that I did a couple of years ago was pretty much so eliminate all of our drills that were like going against no one. So like the pivot drill that I'd be over there, you're not going hard enough. You're not doing this. We said, okay, we'll introduce that skill. And then we're going to work on it three on three, four on four. We'll do a lot of four on four on four. Um, just, and we, we don't want to say we're not working on the skills, but we want to work on them in game situations. We also want to put in a lot of points per possession focus. Like no matter what drill we're doing, like, like, okay, you get 10 possessions. We want to have 12, 13 points in these 10 possessions and putting something on what's scoring because that was the biggest thing I was finding. I was getting, I'd have two, I've had, I've been blessed to have some really good players. But in that next layer of players that win you championships of that third, fourth, fifth guy, we couldn't score in those positions. We're like, we've got to really change our focus to getting more kids that can shoot, more kids, you know, straight line drive to the basket, you know, and just really putting the emphasis on that. You know, we'll do a ton of small-sided games. I know everybody's talking about small-sided games now, but we'll even work, you know, four on three. And we're creating that because we know we're going to move the ball and we're going to beat your closeout that's coming from 15 feet because we move the ball and space the court really well. Well, now we've got to develop a guy to be able to make the read when somebody comes from the help side. And the read for so my shooter doesn't leave the corner to catch the ball at 15 feet. It's pretty much so a sin in our program to shoot a mid-range jumper. I think our uh, – and I, I definitely have had some studs that can do it, and they're going to get the green light. But my fourth or fifth best player better not, unless he's really good at it, better not be shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. Okay, so then obviously you talked about a little bit, but then how do you go a little bit further? Are you adapting it to your, you know, your, your entries that you run, your, your sets, things like that, or are you – at the lower levels, just working on scoring and shooting in general? So we're going to have a half an hour of shooting. We've got some really good competitive shooting drills that we'll do, like, you know, stuff that I've stolen from other people. I think, like, I found one. It's called Bradley Beal Drill, where you have two and a half minutes to make three threes from five different spots, and you have to make five in a row. Like, our kids, like, erupt when we do – we call out that drill, and they're like – game on we're doing this i'm gonna break the record you know they're competing in that way um we'll do like i said the small sided game stuff we'll do like drills where we're we we're closing at like a bad closeout it drives me nuts we're doing bad closeouts on defense but at the same time we're showing okay you're driving right now you've got to beat this second guy and we're in three man groups we're working we haven't had a ton of guys that could do ball screens, but we'll still work on it some. And we're working even like two on one ball screen situations. I found some great stuff there where we're teaching our basic concepts and we're getting reps of these things we're going to put into the games instead of spending more time like varsity might of getting a game plan for the next team. You know, if we're going to face a zone team, I've got four or five you know, pack like drills that are basically ball movement, pivoting. Here's what we're working on of that next pass. Like even a simple drill we do almost every day, we call two-on-one shooting, where a guy throws you the ball and you have a partner that's on offense 
and whoever he doesn't close out on should be shooting. So if you throw me the ball and you close out on me, it's one more pass and that guy is shooting. And what we found is we got had like a 10,000% increase in making that extra pass. And I'm like, how did I not ever do this drill before? Like all the years, I'm like, how did you not see that guy that was right next to you that's shooting 45% on, on the season from three and you drove right again because it's your right hand. And really just putting our reps into there. When we scrimmage, you know, it's going to be like three, five possession, short short possession where we're maybe working on a certain thing and really putting in there because like we don't do a ton like we don't do a 20 minute scrimmage like we'll do more four on four we'll do five on five stuff where it's offense defense offense and we're working on basic concepts and really like hey we need to move the ball better here we need to get downhill off this ball screen so you you've kind of mentioned ball screens and and you kind of talked about those base concepts so when you're teaching ball screens, you know, what are some of the base concepts you're teaching the bigs and what are some of those base concepts you're teaching the guards? And then what's kind of that read progression as they work together? All right. So one of the basic things for our offense is we're, we're going to pick who we can and can't go against with the ball screen. Like Proviso East is one of our biggest rivals in our conference you want nothing to do with running a ball screen action against them because two guys are going to maul you and the refs just get tired of calling fouls. Especially when and, you go there. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, you know, and we might still, and that's another thing that goes into it. I think way too many people are focused on actually setting the ball screen. So like we're telling our guys all the time, you, the only thing you cannot do is hold a ball screen you missed and as soon as they as soon as we start to use the ball screen you are creating as much space as humanly possible you know for some guys that might be a rim run some guys that might be a pop but as soon as we start to use the ball screen we're out of there with the screener like we want to you know pick and pop we want to get you know some good look because we're going to see a head hard hedge and recover we're going to see switching all kinds of different defenses and, you know, I probably tell – I probably use language all the time that I shouldn't in basketball, but I tell them all the time, you can't go over there and screen like a fart or something like that because that's what it looks like, guy. They're just screening and holding a screen on air. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that guy, you already missed him. Why are you still there? But then going from that, if we play a team like East or we play a hard hedge team, we're never actually going to set the ball screen. We're going to do what we call show and go, which we're putting our hand up. We're yelling ball screen and we're out of there before it's actually set because our basic fundamentals are get, get out of there as soon as you activate that screen. And then we want our guard to go downhill. He can't get, go downhill and get to the elbow or the logo. We're teaching him to string it out, you know, take two hard dribbles and go back, probably going back to that pop guy. And I think the third thing we really focus on, and we set a lot of middle ball screens, which I think is by far the best place to ball screen on the court. And like, I think I see a lot of people trying to run ball screen offense, especially like coaches earlier in their career. And they're like in a continuity ball screen. That's really hard to do. Like, it's really hard to have great timing and spacing. We'll just run a lot of really simple middle ball screens 
and probably the one person we're not looking to go to is the ball side corner. So we hold the corner a lot and spread out. We're looking to get that jump stop. If you took away my layup three at the top of the key or a three on the other side of the court, because I think that's been an evolution when people are now staying with that ball side shooter. And if anything, we're looking for that guy to go back door more than we are looking to get a catch and shoot three. But at the beginning of the year, we throw it to him all the time. And we just have to beat it into him of like, that's the last guy we want to go to unless somebody really helped or that's a really good shooter. Well, you and I have a lot of similar offensive ideas. So now let's get into it a little bit more. So I, I you know, I'm big on offensive concepts and spacing rather than act, you know, a specific set or a specific, you know, whatever. So, you know, offense is obviously based on spacing rather than just a specific system. You mentioned flex, we could go through a bunch of them. How do you teach that spacing? And what are you looking to get out of that space? I think so many people talk about spacing, but you know, when you teach it, what are you actually looking to get out of it? So with the spacing, we're looking to get two guys to have to commit to stop the ball. Whether it's a ball screen, we run some backwards ball screens. We're like, we call one of our plays J-Lo where your butt's facing the ball handler and people just don't see it. They don't know what to do. And we've killed people on a couple of versions of it. Um, but we're looking as soon as you commit a second guy, we're moving the ball and somebody's going to be ho- We've really worked on shooting at the lower level. We've gotten rid of those three-man weave drills, the pivot drills, and we've put in that extra 60 to 100,000 shots in a year that we get from not doing some of those on-air drills. And we've, we feel we've got guys and we move the ball. They're going to hit that three. We didn't have that in the past. That's why we added more skill, more shooting, and less you know, fundamental offense. As soon as we can get a second guy to the ball, that's a jump stop. We're going back to somebody where, you know, kick, we've had players that, you know, are big enough, strong enough. They can kick it to the opposite corner. Um, you know, I think one of the hardest things for a ball screen to do is to get guys to actually commit to using it. Like, you, it's fine if you reject a ball screen. But, like, we have guys that take one dribble as soon as there's a hedge. It's immediately pick up your dribble which is the last thing we want. We want that downhill drive. As soon as you're coming off of it, you've activated somebody else on defense. Now, when we go to those four on three drills and it's pass, pass, wide open shot or beat a closeout, that's what we've created in that situation, in that ball screen. And we think we've trained that, that we're gonna be really good at beating guys like in a two on one situation. So let's say that you run a set. And in the set breaks down, let's be honest, all of our sets break oh, down yeah. at some point. If you're playing a great team and they've scouted you, your sets are going to break down. What does that flow look like for you guys? The set breaks down that, you know, what, what, where do you guys flow into after that? So we kind of stole Villanova's four out. You know, if you pass it to the top guy, you cut your same side and just replace. And if you throw it to a wing, you cut to the opposite side and we just fill four spots on the perimeter, just really simple. Like that's a middle school offense and we move the ball out of it really well because if you take away a pass, we've got great spacing for a post player. We try not to, and I've had some stud post players, but we try not to post up on the block very much 
because we think when we're moving the ball in that four out, if we follow the ball too much, nobody ever has a rim open to drive to. So, you know, we're trying to post a little bit higher, really open up the baseline. We might put them in the short corner. We might even put our post at the elbow a little bit, depending on their strength and really get them facing the basket. So they're working downhill. But really, if, if you stop our quick hitters, we do run a lot of them. We're just going to that simple four out motion and really just focusing on ball movement and getting to the second or third side. I think I saw Bill Self at a clinic say one time, yeah, your offense might be great, but your ball reversal is really better. You know, something on that lines of we're going to be, we can't beat the best defensive teams very often on the first side, but we get to the second side, we're going to start hammering. And we'll even, you know, chart that of like what percentage of our points came on the second, third side of the floor and really telling guys like even in transition, we're running, but it's probably just to get a quick ball reversal. Yep. Amen. Okay. So now we, you talked a lot about advantage, disadvantage drills. Um, so what do you feel the benefits are of those? And then how does it help your players? Well, you know, one benefit we picked up, we switch all screens on defense. Now, I mean, not everything, but we do switch a lot and we're constantly in rotation and we're working when we're doing those, we're working on offense and defense at the same time. So I've cut down a number of times. We've kind of gotten rid of like running. We used to run. We knew every play you were going to run. All right. We might still act like we do. We don't even know what you're running. Sometimes we just call out the name of whatever you're going to run. <laughs> that works just as good as the scouting board a lot of times. But, um, you know, I think it's getting that one more shot. You know, a huge stat that I've been a big fan of for a long time and I've tried to find it and I cannot find it anywhere. I'm pretty sure it was in the Xavier newsletter is what shooting percentages are in college on certain shots. So we sell our guys and it's been pretty close to accurate almost every year. Kick out threes are going to make, we are going to make 60% of our kick out threes. All right. So that's why we're doing a lot of those reps because we know we're going to get a lot of driving kick. We tell them uh, the next best three is coming off a screen and it's less than 30%. Coming off a ball screen is 20% and off the dribble out of control is a 10% three. So we're trying to, in our drills of work on ball movement and getting that 60% three that we can make constantly. And we've had some success of even kids that aren't good shooters could make that at 40% and really help us as a team and that focus on those drills and that focus on those percentages we talked about got them to get rid of that 10 and 20% shot that we were taking. And like, if anybody's going to take those, that's going to be my stud best shooters because they're getting really good defenders on them. All right. So we have this advantage disadvantage, right? And you're working on those things. How do you teach your players the decision-making within those drills, right? Cause that's kind of the next step. You know, we'll start really simple. We'll do like a three on two and we don't even really give them a rules. Five guys in a basket, three offensive players, two defensive players. You can only score on threes. We're starting out. And then we'll say, okay, you can score in a layup in threes. And we're like, you has to be the kick out three or maybe we'll add something like, you know the one more threes, we'll shoot that as well. Then we'll, we'll, 
that kind of makes not quite whole part whole, but then we'll even break it down even more. And we'll do like three offensive players on one defensive player. We'll swing the ball or we'll swing the ball around the perimeter. Somebody drives from the sideline and I take away either one of the defenders is the who have the one player on defense takes away one of the shooters. We've got to pass and shoot from that open guy that did not get defended. We'll, we'll move from three on one there to four on two and do the same thing. We're working on that jump stop, which is a huge part of kick out threes. This year we weren't, we couldn't, we couldn't pass it to the guy. He'd be wide open. I'm like, well, we, we threw it out of bounds. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys, but just simple drills like that, that seem absurd, but it's really improved our kick out threes, our ball movement. And like saying like, hey, when you spin the ball like that, because we'll start the offense on one side, spin it really quick and activate that drive. Like just a simple ball movement is going to be there. And we'll mix it up every single day. Four on two, three on two, five on four, like just kind of like how we feel with the team of what we need to do that day. We'll even do simple drills. Like we start with defense, having the ball a lot. They can throw it to whoever they want. And we've kind of got the ball in a different position than we normally do at the top of the key. Um, we'll even add where whoever he passes it to, that guy's got to touch the sideline. So we've now got like a random drive coming in. Defense has to stop that and give us a different read. And it's like last year's team, my top five were so good that if we scrimmaged against my next five, we would beat them like a hundred to two. Like, and it wouldn't even be close. We would get nothing out of it. You know, we, we've tried going against sophomores. Instead, I was like, you know what? We're going to spend our time instead putting my six or eight best players on one end of the court and really working on stuff in small-sided games. And maybe my other six or eight players that are there are on the other end of the court, and they're working on more basic skills. Like, they might be doing the same drill, but it's a coach over there like, hey, this is why we do this. This is why we do that. And trying to get a lot of reps. And really, there's nothing like we just keep adding to it. So like, you know what? This would give us a good look or this team. We need to do that. This year we were huge. We went from having four guys the year before that could all shoot the three that were small to medium size to like four of my guys were six, five and we were slow. We were going to have to play in a slightly different way. We would add, you know, to those disadvantage advantage drills to try to get um, what's going to fit that team. And the other thing I think it adds when we're when we do say we're working on defense, our main thing on defense is we're just trying to keep you in front. Like I looked this year, I looked, we shot seven mid-range shots and our opponents shot 90 in 15 games. Like that's our whole thing. If you're gonna beat us shooting mid-range jumpers, we're gonna clap our hands, say. Not much we can do. You hit a lot of tough twos against us. And I think those drills do get the defense to try to rotate, stay in front, wall up, and force that shot. And, you know, even goes, we'll clip teams we're going to play. And we're like, look, if you play good defense, this is the shot they'll shoot. They're shooting a 15% two, and we're going to go to the other end, and we're going to get a layup or a kick out three. They can't stay up with us. So, you know, you play, uh, obviously you mentioned Proviso East, but you play a really diverse range of teams in your conference. 
you know, so kind of take us through your scouting process, because obviously for you, your scouting process for Downers Grove South is different than Proviso East, which is different than Leiden, which is different than Willowbrook. So kind of take us through that scouting process. You know, um, and this, is, I think, goes into a lot of our stuff, too. There's only two teams in our conference that are going to let you run half-court man offense. Proviso, not sure if I've ever ran a play against them. And, or like, other than some really simple spacing stuff. And we've had an unbelievable amount of success against them. So I think we've, you know, found some good things that work against them. Um and like you said, Leiden's going to be three-quarter court, one-two-two ball press. Um, Addison Trail is going to play really solid half-court man. DGS is going to play solid half-court man and maybe sprinkle in some other stuff. Morton is going to be a track meet, and it's not going to be half-court sets whatsoever. So, you know, we try to – we don't spend too much time on just half-court offense. I think that works really well with that. We call it four-game flow offense where we can run anything and just we have spacing principles off of that. Um, with scouting, the first thing I'm going to do is look at how they score. Like that's the number one thing. My assistants are probably looking at what plays they're running and I'm, I'm going through huddle and I'm watching every single score that they have in every game that I can find. Um, and, you know, we have the budget to have, you know, all the bells and whistles on huddle. I know not everybody has that. I want to know, like, how does this team score? We played Morton last year. I think both of us were undefeated going into the game. And I was like, they're averaging 42 points a game in transition. Like, that's number one. Like, I don't care about their half-court offense. And we shut them down to, like, six points in, in transition and said, hey, we're going to make this a half-court game because you're, it's going to be fast-paced no matter what you would do. You know, we we accomplished it. You know, we blew them out twice, and they were the only, they were the second best team in our conference. So we're really focusing on how you score. Um, you know, we have not had a lot of turnover in our conference. So like, I've had I've gone against the same six coaches for all eight years. We've not had one coach leave, and so I know a lot of the stuff they're going to do just from experience. We play home and away. Um, Players to stop is going to be one of the big ones too. Like Morton had a guy last year who was averaging 26 points a game. I'm going to clip like six clips of him at the very beginning and be like, this is what he is going to do to you if you are not ready from the second they get the ball. And then, you know, some of them might be threes from 10 feet behind the line, his typical move, you know, like really aggressive stuff. I think that's helped quite a bit. And, you know, we don't, you know, probably focusing mostly on their top two players and stuff like that are like, these are the guys that can really beat us. And, you know, maybe later on giving them like what other guys do too. Uh, we switch every screen or almost every screen, which I think gives us a major advantage because we don't have to prepare for like your plays necessarily because you're going to do them in a different way against switch. And we're kind of trying to point out, well, this is what we think they're going to do. Like they're going to, they set this back screen and you know, they're going to try to slip out of it a lot, or they're going to try to do this. You know, a lot of teams, everyone tries to post up our small guys and they score almost never. Like they throw it out of bounds. 
they're like, wait a second, my post guy throwing it to a big guard who's never done that before is not working. And like somebody a couple weeks ago kept us in a game because they kept trying to post up my five, seven kid. Well, we work on that every single day and you get to work on it for maybe a day or two before we play you. So I think that's helped our scouting quite a bit of giving a different look. And that's one of my best friends in coaching. He's a one, two, two ball press guy. And I'm like, why do you do it? And he's like, cause we get to shoot a lot more. He's like, we get to work on our offense and our skill stuff and not have to worry about your plays and man to man and do that. And I wasn't ready to go to one, two, two ball press. I know nothing about the one, two, two. I, I, I don't know what to do in it at all. Never coached it. Never, never played in it. And that, that switching screen look has really helped us because it we don't have to spend as much time like preparing our team for you if that makes sense definitely so you just talked about switching so okay what is your communication right because that's super important uh, um and then like kind of your core principles you teach when switching so from day one, we're working on communication. Like I think one of the, my favorite drills I ever found was Kevin Garnett showing how they did the scream drill with the Boston Celtics. We literally go hit hands, close out on a guy. We might do it for one minute and everyone is screaming in the gym. Like, that's why we call it the scream drill. I'm like, this better be loud or we're gonna run. Um, and the kids are like super loud with it. They know that we'll stay with it as long as it takes. If it takes us one minute, we're done. If it takes 10 minutes to get guys to talk, we're gonna keep doing that. Our main concepts with switching, early, loud, and often with communication. Like I told a kid last year that wouldn't talk, I was like, you could literally bark out there. I don't care what you're doing, just let somebody know where you are at he still wouldn't talk like in his, I was like, okay, you have to either make a sound or you're not going to play. Um, and then the thing we really like to do, we talk about uh, aggressive contact switches. So we're going to get really aggressive on the switch. We are not, I've had very athletic players, but we are not usually anywhere close to the top of athleticism of our conference one through seven. And I think it's really helped that kid that's not super quick when he does that aggressive contact switch where he's got one hand on the screener and he's going to get out in the passing lane. That's given us a unique opportunity to be aggressive and it's doubled our turnovers that we've forced on passing. Because I thought we were way too lenient on just letting teams run their plays and just working on grinding out a stop. And we forced a lot of turnovers with that. My slowest player last year led us in turnovers. He just had great instincts. And really, I think it causes a lot of turnovers because they're not used to going against it. And they try to do things that are not a part of their offense. Like all of a sudden, they're going to try to bring my big guy out and, you know, try to drive on him. And we're telling him, hey, we know we're ready to help. And if you can keep them from getting to the rim in three dribbles or less, you've done your job. And I think that's helped quite a bit. We talk about just like communicating and figuring it out. That was a lot easier when we were really good. I will admit that it was a lot easier to figure things out when we had five good players on the court this year. There were some head scratches of like, what were you thinking? 
on that. And I think the last main concept, and this has really helped us, is let's make our mistakes towards their best players. So like if some if you see player one that's coming off, that's averaging 20 points a game, let's make the mistake towards him. Let's make, you know, let's accidentally double team their best player instead of the guy averaging three points a game that just set the screen. It is not really a big option in their offense. All right. So obviously you're switching. You maybe talked about it a little bit, but do you have different versions of switching, right? Like, so like sometimes maybe you got a big and I would say maybe Proviso East is probably a good example. They got a really good guard and they can do that ISO set. Right. So are you not switching off your five, you know, different, different versions? How does that work? So what, some things we've added, like we'll try not to switch your initial action. Like if we think you're setting screens just to get, you know, a, a better matchup, unless it's a switch that we really want to make, like my best defender onto your best offensive player, we're not, or that's the time we obviously will switch. Um, we do see a lot of guys try to go against our five and or like post up our guard. One good thing about the five being on defense that I tried to try to embrace is that now my best defender is in a help position and not necessarily on the ball. So I have my best guy helping. We've said that and we'll even build that into the five. Like, look, you've got our best defender back here and he's ready to rotate and help you. Um, well, if we're playing a team that's going to do a certain thing to attack it, or we pick up that in the game, we have some really easy things we'll go to. Or like um, last year in our regional title game, they had a kid that could average probably 15 points a game, and he came out hot. I mean, he scored 15 early, and we're like, we're locked on to him. We're going to switch everybody but him. And if if James needs help coming off the screen, we will double until – like he doesn't have the ball or he's in a tough spot. The switching we found really forces teams to be really passive on their aggressive actions. So like their dribble handoffs, their ball screens, they're part of the play. They're going back towards half court instead of coming off of it downhill and hot. And that really has helped us a lot. And the other thing is they just get tired of not knowing what to do and then just shoot a stupid shot they can't make it a very high clip especially in our conference where you get some guys are like we don't want to play we don't want to move the ball we want to shoot after seven or eight seconds they've already shot the ball after we've switched two or three screens and you know the year before when we first started doing it we also would run a two three every team had a six four division one point guard in our conference and i had nobody to guard them so we'd line up in a two, three. And as soon as that guy would cross half court, if he had the ball match up man to man teams would run zone plays for a while against it. You know, if he was on the wing, we match up on the first pass and just trying to kind of have some unique ways to get into it, add things as we got better at it. And we just do a lot of simple drills. Like we work on three on three screen away and just practicing that contact switch all the time. Because what happens is teams are like, oh, we're going to slip. We're going to do all this. They throw it right to us underneath the basket. And I think it was Chris Beard says, like, yeah, you're going to give up a couple of baskets underneath where you've just lost people. But we're talking four points a game. 
where I've made my defense 18 points a game better by switching all of the screens. So to me, I'm not very smart, but I'm pretty good with numbers and basketball. I'll take 18 over four any day. Well, you're better with numbers than both Todd and I already. So uh, what is, what is a lesson that you learned in coaching? You know, take us through what happened and what you learned from that situation as a coach. Oh, you know, there's been so many 18 years of coaching and 12 years of varsity. Um, you know, not necessarily, you know, one I do like that I got from the very first guy I coached with Bill Sandbrooks at Hinkley Big Rock. He had been an assistant at West Aurora. And this has always stood in my mind at the end of the game. He's, I think Gordy Kirkman had told him one time, it's almost impossible to hold the ball for 45 seconds. So that influenced like his thoughts with, you know, holding the ball on offense and like, what do you want to do defensively? Like that's impacted me. Sometimes people are like, why aren't you holding the ball for one shot? Uh, Cause we're going to turn it over. Like something's unless they're just standing there and letting us hold the ball, it will be a turnover. So like, let's not, let's not have a wasted possession. You know, one thing that I think I've really learned and I read stuff all the time I, on all these different Facebook groups, I see people post stuff. And one piece of advice I would have for people of like, you're going to watch the NCAA tournament. High school players cannot do about 80 to 90% of the stuff that you're going to see on there because they're not big enough. They're not fast enough. They're not strong enough. Like, yes, that ball screen to a flare screen look was awesome, but you're going to pull your hair out trying to get it to work in high school because it's just too hard for players to do. And I've really tried to do a lot of really simple stuff that gives us different looks. Like we might have 30 different plays, but they're like no brainer, one action. Like the word just like tells the kids exactly what we're going to do. All right. So you talked about a little bit, I think, I don't know, John, we've, we're getting a little controversy here. We, I don't know. We haven't asked this question to anybody yet. We haven't talked about holding the ball for 45 seconds. So what are your thoughts about the shot clock in high school basketball? And then like, it seems to be trending towards going to it. Do you think in the next five years we get one? You know, I think in Illinois, we're going to get one. Um, here's my only concern. I already see all kinds of three quarter court pressure. Is it going to turn the game into just trying to force people into the back of the shot clock? I know there's plenty of places where they hold the ball. Definitely. We don't see it that much. You know, like we've played some teams that we're just obviously better than, and that, that is their strategy. But usually if we're grinding away, like my teams grind usually pretty hard and we're up eight, that's done. They can't do that anymore. I'm scared that you're going to see more 20 to 30 games if there is a shot clock. I hope I'm wrong with that. I want it to be very aggressive if they do have one. Somebody mentioned a 45-second shot clock. No thanks. That is way too – I'd be fine with 24 seconds. Hmm. Somebody told me one time Canada had like an 18-second shot clock, and I loved it. Like I was like, that would be awesome to have that short of a shot clock. But like – I don't see, personally in our conference, I don't see the need because it's pretty fast paced. It's not really slow. You know, I told somebody when they asked me last year, I'm like, I can count on one hand the number of possessions I've seen go over 35 seconds. 
But at the end of the game, I'm all for some of these rules they're looking at doing of changing where you can take the ball out, different things that are going to help, you know, the X's and O's of the game. And I guess the last thing, there's already a lot of bad shots in high school basketball that have almost no statistical chance to go in. What's that going to do if they're all of a sudden going against a shot clock? Like if I have to watch another step back jumper from somebody that shouldn't even be shooting jumpers, let alone a step back jumper, I would lose it. All right. So uh, here's, this is our timeout segment, right? We like to talk about timeouts since we're after timeout. Um, a timeout, you're in a timeout where you kind of not sure what to do, right? Your, your team's kind of going back and forth. You can't quite figure it out. And a player gave you a suggestion that worked well. And maybe you came and you either came back in that game or won the game. Um, what is, you know, how much feedback do you allow your players to have in a timeout? You know, I, I love player feedback. You know, it's, there's certain, I think you have certain teams that are really good at it. You know, last year there were tons of guys that had experience. They were doing that. I don't know if this, like this year, probably wouldn't have been quite as good. You know, it's a weird timeout thing anyways this year. I think the more player feedback you can get, the better. There's obviously bad things that can happen too, or, you know, it's somebody that has no idea what they're talking about trying to give you feedback. Or hey, my dad's on the sideline telling me what to do. Um, we should try what he's saying. But like with our defense lot, I'll be like, what do you guys see? And we're switching all the time. And sometimes they have a better concept of what's actually going on, or I'm not seeing one thing that they see. So I think player feedback's really big in a timeout, you know, especially in time and place. And I'm not a huge X's and O's guy in timeouts because we're not drawing up a new play. Like we've got a pretty big play bank that we can throw out there. So like, it might even be like, I'll, I love asking the guys, what do you want to run? Cause then you get that instant, you know, buy-in if they think this certain play is going to run. And like one I'm famous for, I'll tell guys like, Hey, don't let me forget. They're going to trap the first pass out of timeout. And I'll call out some play and they're like, coach, they're going to trap the first pass. I'm like, glad you guys are here. Cause I would, I already forgot that we're running a play to beat the trap. So we always do a fun top five at the end. And I know I sent you an original top five, but I kind of tweaked it. So uh, just with the NCAA tournament, I'm, uh, I, we kind of want to ask the, the next few guests we have, you know, in your mind, coach, who are the, the top five teams you feel could win the NCAA tournament? And, you know, all of our listeners that are gamblers aside, let's turn it off right now. But who are your top five that you think could win this year? Oh, that's a good question. I was I was really into college basketball before we got started, and I feel like I'm kind of uh, been away from the game for six weeks with this season, short season we had. Obviously, I'm going to go with Illinois. Huge Illinois fan. You know, I think they've really turned it around. If if uh, Frazier and Miller can play at a high level, because you know Kofi and Io are going to be really good. I think it, for them, it's like if they're going to go on a special run, that second, third, fourth best player are going to have to step up. Um, Gonzaga, one of the best teams I've ever seen play. And, you know, I think if Illinois faces them, I'm hoping that the grind of the Big Ten has helped Illinois a lot more than whatever conference Gonzaga is in. Like, <laughs> 
like, I'm like, how did you only win by 30 versus whoever they're playing? Um, love Baylor. I'm not sure where they're at right now with their COVID stuff. You know, they love to switch screens, which I, you know, love as well. Um, trying to think here. Those are obviously three, you know, I think either Ohio State or Michigan. It's tough to tell. Like one of those two teams is going to make a run. I don't know if it's going to be both of them. Oh, see who would be. I'm not even sure who. I know top four seeds. I think I've got one more. I'll just go with Ohio State and Michigan, both of them. I think it'd be an awesome year to say the Big Ten is like this is their year in the tournament. Well, you named three Big Ten schools and Todd's favorite school all in one answer. So we will take it yeah, there. I'm a Zags Todd, guy. That's my squad. Uh, Todd Zags. loves Gonzaga. So oh, they're they're awesome to watch. I mean, they I think they do a lot of the same stuff we're doing. Of you know, really working on ball movement, getting the second, third side of the floor, getting guys to buy in to team basketball, team offense. Um, you know, like they're. And watching them, I watched them earlier in the year. I'm like, this is one of the best college teams I've ever seen play. Yeah, I, I mean, I I totally agree with that. And and if you listen to our episode, we we don't even have to share Todd's love of Gonzaga. But coach, we we really do appreciate you being on. Um, I I was saying to Todd, I was like, I, I was very excited. A lot of your offensive ideas are my ideas, and. And so we, we really do appreciate you being on. Thank you for the time. It, it was a fantastic hour to spend with you. Thank you very much. And like, I love the stuff you guys are doing. I think you've had some awesome guests on so far. You know, I think it's, you know, I think it's a must listen for anybody, but like, especially in the Chicago land area, there's a lot of recognizable names. You've had great guests from college that are on there. I think this is an awesome thing that you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast and Apple Podcasts by searching after the timeout. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and everything in between.